Good evening, everyone. Welcome back into the Creighton Volleyball Wrap-Up Podcast. I'm your host, Matt DeMarinas, and that's my co-host, Megan Ballinger. Megan Everson, sorry. Sorry. It's the first time I did that this year. I respond to both. <laughs> it helps people get, uh, in case you didn't know who Megan Everson was, it's Megan Ballinger. Yeah, so there you go. I won't do that again, my bad. Um, so yeah, we're here to talk about Creighton's uh, performance at the Diet Coke Classic in Minneapolis, Minnesota, the Jays swept high point and beat number nine, formerly number nine, Minnesota in five sets to exercise some of Megan's demons um, from her playing days. Actually, you know, Megan, you were, uh, you were, uh, you got a few mentions on Volley Talk. Do you know what Volley Talk is? Are you a message board person at all? I have never been on Volley Talk. But you know what it is though, right? I've, isn't it just like a message board thing about volleyball? Yeah, it's like the it's like the college volleyball message board essentially. Like it's it's like the place to go for college volleyball yeah. chat. But yeah, in the in the Creighton Minnesota game match thread or whatever, it was like uh, 20, 30 pages or whatever. And like so, it's like it's fans from all over the country. So it's not just like it's not like a Creighton board or anything. But like they remembered Megan Ballinger being close to, uh, you know, getting the win at Minnesota in the NCAA tournament in twenty nineteen. They so they called it the redemption match when Creighton won that one. So you got a, you have a, you have a legacy there on Volley Talk. A little oh, bit. good. Well, at least there's a win to kind of mention in there, even though I wasn't playing. Exactly. <laughs> it makes better. Yeah, it was the four Megan match. That's what it turned into. <laughs> um. So yeah, that, uh, yeah, that's what Creighton did this weekend. So we'll talk about those two matches. Uh, two very honestly, they were strange matches. The way they. There's just some, to me, some crazy anomalies in both those matches that we'll talk about. And then we'll kind of jump, we'll go through the Big East a little bit because non-conference is over. So it's all league play now, what you guys call second season, right, Megan? That's what it was always referred to, yeah? Yeah, second chunk of the season. The first part's over. It went quick, I feel like. It did. Those weekends go by so fast. So we'll talk about the Big East. We'll take a kind of a league-wide snapshot, if you will. And then we'll preview Creighton's upcoming, their first upcoming weekend slate in the Big East. They're starting on the road, so we'll preview both those matches for you guys. And uh, yeah, everything in between. So let's start with uh, looking back to High Point. That was Friday night um, in Minneapolis, Monterey Pavilion. The Jays swept that one 25-21, 25-12, 25-10. And Kiana Schmidt, Ava Martin, and Amory Remis. We're in can't miss mode. Um, Remus hit 727 on 11 swings, no errors. Kiana Schmidt hit 812, which I think is, the, if I'm not mistaken, the third highest hitting clip with 10 or more kills in Creighton history. So she had 13 kills, no errors on 16 swings. And then Ava Martin, as the six rotation outside with Nora Sis out, had 14 kills, one error on 24 swings for a 542 hitting clip. So both of them were just, or all three of them, excuse me, were automatic. Like it got silly, right, Megan? When you're watching those three, just every time they got a ball, it felt like it went down. You know? Yeah, I feel like that's the best mode to be in as a hitter when things are just going down and you're having your way. It builds so much confidence. Um, But it was crazy to see three players just hit at such a high clip. You know, sometimes it's one player just goes off, but to have three of them go off at the same time was just nuts to me. Yeah, that was it was truly insane. I I can't remember a match where 
I mean, to have a pin over 500 is insane, first of all. That's like the first thing that jumps out at you, right? Yeah. Like near 550? Sure. Ava Martin was unstoppable. <laughs> what did you see from, uh, you know, I think one thing Coach Booth mentioned after the match was that she was impressed with kind of Ava's ability to mix things up, you know, from the pin, I guess. Because that'd probably be the easiest thing to kind of make a pin inefficient is if they have kind of one or two shots. Blockers can probably key on some tendencies there, right? But if she's going seam, going line, going off hands, roll shotting, you know, that's that that's when it gets pretty difficult, right? When they're confident in the whole arsenal. For sure. And I think that's one thing I noticed jumping a little bit ahead to the Minnesota match is she hit that hard angle, hard angle, hard angle. And I just watched Keegan Cook just like oh like exhale every single time she got a kill and that that sharp cross he's like adjust your block adjust your block right and it's that thing of like what can you do to keep the blockers kind of on their toes and make them move um just with every swing that you have all right I'm gonna nail it hard cross and oh I'm gonna throw in a roll shot like she just did that really well and hit line hits high hands can tool the block if it's tight just throwing it off those hands so she just has all of those shots in her arsenal and it's, it's fun to see, you know, with every swing, what she's going to do, because a lot of times she is doing something a little bit different. Yeah, for sure. I think, and the crazy thing is like, she's still kind of early her sophomore year, you know? So, I mean, she's, you know, eventually she's going to develop like just the way her kind of the, her mind works, right? She's a super competitive kid. She's super competitive with herself too. So I think she's going to, eventually test her limits like and not just kind of rest on her laurels a little bit and maybe you know she starts hitting deep cross a little bit and peppering that corner because she's really powerful and she can jump really high so from a physical standpoint like with the way she elevates and the way she swings like that angle is probably something that she can eventually hit right even line deep line like eventually that's going to be something she'll start experimenting with right just because it's 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 possible for her from a physical standpoint yeah i think so and you brought up a good point like she doesn't do that deep cross like five ball ton right because she mm -hmm. usually likes to hit the sharp angles and get on the ball really fast whether that mm -hmm. be in the seam or sharp cross i feel like those are kind of her like power swings like she feels like she has the most power behind those swings and a lot of times passers can't even you know get their body behind it or they're trying to protect their face if it's coming at them sharp enough um mm -hmm. But yeah, I think you're right. I I mean, I just think you get to that point of you'll have as many tools as she has in her toolbox, as they say. I think that only expands as you go, you know, with more practice and you play teams with really big blocks and you have to be creative and find ways to win. So I think she'll only go up from, you know, where she is now, which is already at a really good high level. Yeah, no, she's been on fire this whole season. Even before Nora went down, it felt like she was, you know, she was tearing it up. And now I think... I don't know. The, the the thing that's really impressive with her is that, I mean, I think a lot of people struggle with the Nebraska match, and especially those first two sets, right? Like, without Nora, you know, I, I think there was probably a little bit of a lack of belief at some point. Like, you know, can we actually compete with this team? And once Nebraska got on them, then it probably only exacerbated. And then the intermission reset kind of you know, they were able to reinforce their belief in each other and that probably led to them playing better in three and four. And then now it's only grown since then with Nora out for an extended period of time. You know, I'm sure they've gotten more confidence in themselves without their star pin hitter, right? And Ava, especially, is up into that sixth rotation spot where she can't hide anymore, you know? Like, 
you can't come off the floor and you know only get ready for front row responsibilities like she has to pass she has to be good on first contacts she has to handle first and third um, and she has to be able to terminate still because the team needs her offensively right so there's been a lot of pressure on her these last two and a half weeks and i think we've seen her play better and better and that just speaks to comfort right there's not any more way to put it right you're just she just seems more comfortable in the role in the expanded role don't you think I think so I mean and it's a hard thing like you said in the Nebraska match like you're just kind of thrown into the fire even with a full squad right like even with Norris in there you're kind of just thrown in the fire just because of the atmosphere like the talented team on the other side of the net and I think it's hard to look at that match and it you know obviously Creighton goes in there confident and expecting to win but it's just hard with the level of opponent that you have to play and so their ability to work in these, you know, games after that and kind of figure out, okay, what is our identity without this person that we usually have on the court, you know, all the time. And Ava Martin, like you said, I mean, her role has expanded and she has a little bit more on her plate. She has to think about passing. She has to think about digging. She has to think about those other skills beyond just hitting um, and back row attacking as well. So it's just that growth. And I think it's exciting to see how many steps forward she takes within that short amount of time from match to match and I, you know, if she's asked to play that role for an extended period of time going forward, I think she'll probably thrive even more than she is right now. No doubt. Like, I, because I, it, it just looks like she's got that, I don't know, that special sauce, that moxie to her, where she's not going to let herself fail, which is, you know, that's a, that's a hard game to play with yourself, right? Because if you do fall short, how do you handle it? But it just seems like she just doesn't let, you know, even when she doesn't get a ball down, even when she gets blocked, it just seems like she bounces back really quick. You know, I think that's a really, that's a key trait. Um, and, and we've talked a ton about Kiana Schmidt. Like, I don't even know what more to say about this kid, honestly. Uh, she's taking on a little bit more this year. I feel like she's more comfortable. You know, we're not we're not in the locker room. We don't know those dynamics very well. But it just seems like she's a different type of, presence this year like you know she's one of the captains which is a new responsibility for her right and i know they kind of delegate that in creighton's program to a you know a wide-ranging degree so it's not necessarily a ton on one player but in the past that's always been kind of jayla you know with that with that particular team and you know with your teams it was you like they kind of always knew who who where to go right so that's new for this team right because jayla's not there anymore um, so they have to, you know, rely on different people. Like Kiara Reinhardt is a big vocal presence, a leader, uh, you know, someone that they that the young players lean on in moments like they need help with. Um, but Kiana, I think she's just in a different place right now. And to see her performing at a higher level than she even she performed last year, which was her breakout season, right to a degree. I think it's I think it's really interesting to see how she's handling the full load of being. You know, every be, handling all the intangibles of getting the team organized and, you know, keeping their spirits up and helping young players through things while also still maintaining a high level of performance. Like, you know, that's hard, right? Like, that's not easy to do and handle your own responsibilities, right? Like, what's what have you seen from Kiana that I don't know from a, from from the volleyball side of things that that is impressing you? especially with the increased load on this year from a leadership standpoint. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, it helps to have experience, right? And she's a fifth year senior. And I think by the time you get to that position in your career, at least by the time I got to that position, it's like, you know what to expect and you know what's expected of you. You just kind of know how things are going to go, right? And at that point in time, you've played now on five different teams in college with different personalities, with different people, and you've learned how to kind of navigate that. Um, but yeah, I just think like she's that steady presence for them. And I think that's what you need if you're going to be a leader on a team and be in there and ask to contribute a lot. And she's been asked to contribute a lot more this year offensively and kind of have that killer instinct and put balls away in key times. And she's been really steady for them. And it's it's cool to see. And it's fun to see her just, you know, continue to grow. Obviously, last season, she played really well, too. But this season, she's putting up numbers that, uh, you know, are crazy. And a lot of people haven't done, you know, there's a, only a couple people in, that ever played for Crane Volleyball that are putting up numbers like she did, like you pointed out a little bit earlier. Yeah, no, I think the thing to me, this might be a total swing and a miss. But when it's something I noticed in in the handful of kind of media availability she's done, I think last year this this is gonna sound strange. I hope I word this right. But like whenever you would ask her a question, like I think the answer came out like hyper fast. Where I just think she was like looking for the right thing to say, say it, and move on. And this year, when she kind of has to answer those questions in terms of what the tenor of the team is in this on this topic. I just feel like everything is slowed down for her. And I think she's just like super confident in every phase, whether it's whether we're talking about a teammate, whether we're talking about her, whether we're talking about the importance of a match. And then I think it's a I think it's I think we're seeing it in her play too. Like I think everything is slowing is just slowed down. Like I think she like you said, I think when you have experience it's kind of like you know all the answers to all the questions that are going to be posed to you, right? Like you go in, you're like, all right, here's what we're working on today. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we're facing. You kind of know what you're going to get from a, like what you have to figure out point of view. Don't, is that the best? I don't know. Is that confusing the way I just said that? Like when you know all the answers, things ever, things always slow down for you, right? Like it's easier just to go through it, I guess. You know, I, I think you're right. And I think, I mean, it got to a point, at least for me too, it's like, you've had the same coaching staff. Like you even sometimes know like what they're going to say, right? Like Before they say it, right. Yes. Yeah. Like, you know what they're going to say because you've heard it so many times and you've been down in games and you've been in the middle of matches and you're struggling and you've, you've heard what they say, right? And so it's that sort of thing. It's like, you know what drills you're going to do at practice. Okay, we sucked on blocking this week. I'm sure we're going to do this and this and this. And like, you just, you know those things because- humans are creatures of habit, right? It's like, we're going to do things that help us get better. But a lot of the times it's simple things. Like we're not going to recreate volleyball, right? We're not going to just recreate something. So you just kind of know what to expect and can help younger players too. Of like, all right, this is what we need to do. If it's in a drill or if it's a process of like watching film and things like that, like just everything when you get to that point, you just know what to expect because you've done it for multiple years. Yeah, and I think to turn it into what we're seeing on the floor, like I think all that is manifesting itself in her her ability to handle moments. You know, like whether it, it doesn't it, it it doesn't seem like she's she does she doesn't seem like she goes about her responsibilities whether it's twenty four twenty four or four to four. You know, which I think is 
it's big because then everyone on the floor trusts you in every moment. You know what I mean? Like that's that's big time because you're like, all right, the pressure is amping up, or it's at this level, or we need this at this point in time. What are we getting from Kiana? And everybody kind of knows. And I think that's that's powerful because if everyone trusts you in every situation, it's easy for you to trust yourself in every situation. And I think that's what we see from an execution standpoint for her is she knows how to put the ball down based on what she's seen. You've talked like many times, probably I don't even know if we can analyze Kiana any more than we already have. Right. But you talk about her adjustments kind of like on different tempo balls, on different heights, on, you know, different blocks, uh, the angle she can cut, like how she manipulates the ball, how she manipulates the block. And I think when, you know, she has all that at her disposal and it doesn't matter what what's going on with the point. She just plays the play, you know, she just, whatever that moment requires of her, she can make the adjustment quickly and execute it. And I think that's what we're seeing from her this season is just a high level of execution because she kind of just knows what she's doing out there at all times. Right. Yeah. And I think she's somebody who maybe isn't the loudest on the team, but I feel like she's very analytical and she's very self-aware and she takes, you know, those things maybe off the court that help her be great at school and things. And she can implement them on the court and just think about the process of, okay, if I got blocked this way, this is the adjustment I need to make. And especially when you've, you've been playing right at a high level for this many years and you've been expected to put the ball down in big game situations, you just have that mindset of, okay, like I saw this happen. This is where the adjustment needs to be. And you almost like become a coach in that aspect. And that's like the process that I felt like when I got towards the end of my career, it's like, I know what the coaches are going to say to me. And oftentimes it's like, they didn't need to say them to me because it's like, yep, I saw this is the adjustment I need to make. Right. And sometimes that's harder for younger players, but when you've done it and you've practiced it and you've gotten that feedback, it almost becomes intrinsic of this is the feedback I will give myself. Right. It's like, I don't need a coach to then tell me. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So when you look at what Kiana and Anne Marie did, especially in the high point match, like 21 kills on 27 swings, like this, that's just astronomical numbers for middles, right? Like middles are technically, you know, generally going to be more, more high efficient because their attempts are going to be lower to, you know, than, than outsides, right? It's just a game of numbers, but 21 out of 27 and you don't make a single error between the two of you. I don't know what, what that tells us more about. Does it say more about the connection that they have with Kendra or is it their, their particular abilities on like slides, which they hit a lot and are really efficient at, like, what do you see as the secret sauce with, why Amory and Kiana have been, you know, able to handle heavier loads and be efficient with in, in, in the process, but regardless of who they're playing, regardless of opponent, I guess. I think that connection continues to get better. Um, you know, you kind of hinted at, I think there's been times where that connection has been off, you know, and even if there's a point of like, oops, we missed this one. I feel like they've been able to get back on track, you know, and that slide has helped them a lot. I think both both players obviously hit the slide really well. And that plays, I think, to Kendra's strengths as well. And just spreading the offense, too. I think that creates more gaps. Um, and that's something you maybe wouldn't see. You'd maybe see one middle be really good at a slide and run that a lot. And this year, 
we've seen both middles really go to that slide a lot. And that just creates gaps within the blockers because, you know, you're going pin to pin in that instance and the middle blocker has to guess which way to go a lot of times. And you have lethal weapons on both pins. So you can't really give anybody up in that situation. I just think the offense is a little bit different than I remember ever seeing a Creighton team just with the amount of slides and how much spreading they're doing. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Uh, because it because it just seems like especially with with Kendra being a threat of her own, you know she pulls a blocker with her gravity to a degree too because she has a power dump right like so it's not one of these you know cute cute little off tempo things that a, that a DS can handle right even if a blocker isn't there like blockers have to commit to Kendra because if she chooses to call her number it's usually going down hard and fast so. That probably may that probably opens up, you know, every other part of it. But like you said, having two hitters be able to execute the slide the way they do, and have outsides and back row hitters, you know, threats from the back row with the bick, like that. I I just don't know how you would defend Creighton honestly. Like you have to just be really on point with with what you're reading out there, and I don't know, just kind of hope for the best sometimes because when they're in system. And, you know, she's got – she's close to the net. It's just that ball's going down, you know what I mean? Like, it just is. They're, 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 they're cooking right now when they're in system offensively, it feels like. They are. And I think – I mean, shout out to the passers. I think this Crane team is a really good passing team, and they have really great DSs and Olivero that will put that ball on the net to make Kendra and those middles an option consistently. And I think – that's something that sometimes Creighton teams have to work into to be a really good passing team. And I feel like they started the season really strong on it and have just worked their way into consistently getting those middles to be a part of the offense. Uh, here's one thing I want to ask you too, because I, I haven't looked, I haven't looked at the transition numbers from this weekend yet, but gosh, I felt like Creighton got a lot of kills in transition, even when Kendra had to handle first contacts. Like, so you mentioned the DS is just now and Ellie Bolton being really good passers. Are they are we underrating how good they actually are on second contacts when they actually have to bump set? Because I, I I feel like they're giving, you know, Ava Martin, Destiny Adam Simpson a lot of opportunity, and even Nora Sis when she was healthy, a lot of opportunities to either A get kills out of system and in dig transition, or B get good aggressive, you know, swings on the pin that at least make the defense on the other side of the net have to scramble to keep the ball up and keep them out of system. You know, it feels like it's too two-sided there. They either get them out of system or get a kill, but I feel like Creighton's DSs and Libero are really good at handling that second ball when Kendra is the one handling the first one. Am I am I off on that, or do you see some of that too? I see that as well. I think they do a really good job of putting their hitters in, you know, better ball situations. If you're in that situation, it's like, all right, how can we make that ball a little bit better? Obviously, it's hard for those hitters when it's coming over your shoulder and you have to kind of get wider and open up and take a big approach and wait on a ball longer than you normally would. Um, but I think they they put it in a position where their hitters have options, and that's a big thing. You don't want to trap hitters with that second ball. You don't want to get it low and tight, you know, too wide, that sort of thing. I feel like they're putting it in a good spot. We talk about five feet in, five feet in from the side and five feet off the net. And I feel like they do a good job of hitting that so that hitters can tool blocks, you know, hit the angle, roll shot, do whatever they need to do, even to keep that defense kind of on their toes and 
it's not just like a, we're just going to put in a lollipop swing, right. To get it over the net. Like we're going to be aggressive. And I think the hitters do a good job of going slow to fast in their approach and taking a really aggressive swing on those balls that are coming maybe from not a setter. Yeah. So the high point match was interesting. Honestly, both matches this weekend were interesting. And so I don't know. We'll, I'll, I'll mention this on the high point match. Then we'll jump into Minnesota. Cause I want to tie it all together. Cause uh, they were very unique matches to me. I just can't remember matches that went like this back to back. But so set one with High Point and Creighton, there was seven ties and four lead changes. It was kind of it was kind of the back and forth. Each team had each team got on runs and each team had kind of chances to take take that set. I think it was I think it was an up up for grab set from a momentum standpoint. Then Creighton jumped out to a really big lead in set two, and then got a little error prone. You know, High Point. I think they had a Service error, a reception error, and an unforced attack error, and they got blocked in there in a four-point run for high point. So that's kind of like, okay, wheels falling off mode, right, a little bit, right, when you're starting to pile up different types of errors in short sequences. So Creighton called a timeout. I think they were still up five at that point, so still in control, but you want to get you want to get that stuff reined in before it becomes a bigger run for high point. And then Creighton closed the match by winning 35 of the last 47 rallies, which to me is like mind-blowing. That's 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 crazy dominance um, from a match that had been kind of back and forth at that point. So just, yeah, total domination to end that thing. Uh, it got less competitive as it went along. And this feeds into the Minnesota match a little bit because, you know, I, I know you've watched a lot of volleyball, like, that felt like the least competitive five set match I've ever seen. Like it, it did not feel close at all because set one, Creighton was up 23 to nine cruised set two, Minnesota was up 19 to nine cruised set three. Creighton was up 22 to nine cruised set four was the one that kind of went back and forth. I think it was tied 22, 22 late. So it, it, I was kind of up for grabs and then set five was all Creighton. Like that was a weird five setter, right? With, you know, the games within the game being so lopsided each way, each time, don't you think? Yeah, it was a little bit boring, like, <laughs> to watch. <laughs> you said, you said I agree. Honestly, it just was like, okay, like, it just was so up and down. And I know, like, many people have talked about Minnesota being up and down, but just the whole match, it just was like okay, like, it's not, you know, there were, weren't a ton of, like, really long rallies and, like, exciting plays. It just is kind of like, oh, they're cruising this one. Guess we'll see what happens the next set and just see how this match turns out. I don't know. It was, like, a slow progression of winning, I feel like. It was. It was very It was very strange. Like, going into game five, I'm just like, I, I the assessment of the match was basically, I'm like, all right, well, whoever, I mean, first contacts every set felt like it was it was flipping, you know? One team was just like totally going sideways passing and could not get it figured out in time. So, you know, when you go into game five and you're only going to 15, uh, you know, that becomes, I think, I think Creighton handled the pressure of that moment better than Minnesota did, I guess, because, you know, I think Minnesota scored the first point, but then they committed an, an attack error just on a, like a wild swing. Uh, it wasn't like Creighton got a good touch on it or anything or, or forced it. I think it was just Minnesota being a little bit errant, you know, and then Sydney Breisinger goes back behind the line and serves up an eight Oh scoring run to just put it away. I mean, and Sydney had an unreal match. I mean, first of all, 
let's just get this out of the way. She had six reception errors. So that's horrible. Um, and and I think the thing that's cool about it though is she had that many errors in serve receive, and as a true freshman, still found a way to wipe it, move on to next point, and actually take over the match, which is hard to do for a DS in the first place. But to be, I guess, for the Minnesota to get her as much as they did, you know what I mean? And for her to kind of be able to be like, all right, it's one mistake, move on. And then to be able to affect the match in the way she did, like for not only was her serving run incredible because, you know, she had, I think, only one ace in that whole run. So you're like, well, what, you know, it's what she really do. But she was getting Minnesota out of system every single time, made it really easy for Kendra and Kiana on the right side to set up blocks and get touches. And they got a couple ace blocks in that sequence. Like she was, she had Minnesota just looking, searching, desperate for answers. And I don't know. The other part of it is too, she was really good in dig transition. She said she had, she made a couple crazy digs, full extension digs that led to kills in transition for Ava Martin. That's those are big points. Those are big plays. Those are big time, you know, big time moments for a true freshman, especially one that got aced six times. Like that's a lot to get aced six times, right? Like you can get internal with half that number. Can't you like, I mean, what did you see from Sydney in terms of her, just her mental toughness to be able to bounce back from, you know, not a clean match, but to be able to take it over late, especially the way she did. Cause I, I thought she was huge. Her performance, I think is a good example of maybe not every skill is going really well for you, but you hone in on what is going really well and try to even ramp it up a little bit more. And you saw that at the service line, you know, like you said that she got him out of system and she was just huge from that standpoint. And Passing wasn't going well that day, but she made digs. She put really aggressive serves over to get Minnesota out of system. And I think that's what you have to do in that position because, you know, not every day is going to be your day from every standpoint and every facet of the game. But she performed when she needed to, you know, and when the game was on the line, she really helped Creighton, you know, kind of get out of the woods of that one and have a back and forth fifth set. Obviously, you never know how that's going to go. And to open a Fits it up like that, it gives you a little bit of cushion. Yeah, 100%. Like, they, I mean, that was a comfortable fifth set, right? Like, for her, I think the thing that's that's really interesting to me is how she didn't let – how she didn't let passing bleed into defense. Because those are, like, basically the same kind of skill. You know what I mean? You're, you're handling something that you're not really sure about how fast it's coming at you, where it's going to come at you from, what the angle of it is, what the ball is going to be doing. So to be – kind of struggling in serve receive, but to be able to come up with the the variety of digs she came up with in transition play. And even when Minnesota was maybe in system and, you know, firing a hard low driven ball at her to be able to get it up and, and give her team a chance to terminate off of it. I think it's crazy impressive, especially for someone as young and inexperienced as she is, because that like, I, you can imagine like the serve receive thing can bleed into your ability to be confident in what you're seeing defensively, couldn't it? Like, if 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 she's getting aced a bunch, you know, I can't imagine that didn't that can't that that has the that has the chance to bleed into your confidence defensively too, when you're trying to read a play that's happening quickly and be in the right spot and then react to it fast enough and trust your skills, trust your training, right? I agree with you. It's 
serve receive is just different. I feel like from a lot of skills because you can be targeted. Like you said, Minnesota can go at somebody and just almost serve you off the court to a point of like, why am I here? You know, it's yeah. like, that's yeah. when you get into like hiding passers and things. And it just is so mental. A lot of the times it's impressive how she didn't let that bleed over. And then defense it is similar, but I think at the same time, you don't have that thought process behind like watching a server serve at you. It's like, I'm in the position I'm going to react quickly. So sometimes you don't have to think about it as much. That's why I think server receive at times can be sort of mental of like, this server's coming right at me and I know it. And she got into that situation of, I know they're coming at me and she had to find a way to respond and she worked her way through it. And sometimes server receive passing is just working your way through going from being bad to getting a little bit better and putting that ball, you know, in the spot that it's supposed to be. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's like you said, like you can serve a player off the court, literally, like if you just, (laughs) you know, if they, if they just can't hide anywhere and you just keep getting targeted, like you force a team's hand to just pull them off the court. And if, if Creighton had to pull her off the court, that that takes an element of their passing game and their defense away that they want on the floor. And it, it would have put them in a tough situation. So major kudos to her because I don't know if I've seen you know a performance like that where where she clearly is being targeted and they're having success doing it and yet the other phases of her game are are so good that she's actually despite the fact that Minnesota's has an advantage in, in one phase of it she's beating them in every other one you know what I mean so I don't know. It's it's some kind of like sweet justice for her, I guess, to be able to do what she did in set five, because I imagine as much as they felt her make made her feel kind of shaky from a confidence standpoint and serve receive throughout the first four sets, she did that to the whole team, you know, in set five. I mean, she she basically beat them. She didn't beat them herself because the other four sets still happened. But if you're going into a set five and you're at home and you're in front of five thousand fans, five thousand plus fans, like your mentality is this is our game. This is our gym. This is our home. We're not letting this team take this from us. And then for a true freshman that you had been taking advantage of kind of throughout the match and having your way with to be the one that stuck the dagger in essentially, that's, that's a big time killer instinct from her, I think. And it's hard to see that from DS is because they don't get the opportunity to, you know, to score points or to be the reason that team score points, but she, there's no way around it. She definitely was, you know, yeah, I think being a DS sometimes is a thankless job, right? Everything you do doesn't maybe show up and you don't get all the accolades. But that serving run, obviously, was a huge, huge contribution and helped Creighton close that match. And, I mean, she gets kudos for that and her great serving performance. But, yeah, just the way that she battled through um, and was resilient, I think, will serve her really well going forward because, obviously, you know, teams are going to target certain passers and serve receive and you're going to be asked – you know, to pass a ball maybe, and it's not going to go well. And those are things that players have to work through. And I think you see that for hitters too, you know, if balls aren't going down. Oh, yeah. So it's just a different way kind of of seeing that in the game. Uh, Kendra Waite was nails again against Minnesota. I mean, she just, it feels like she starts, she really, really gets into a different mode when the, when the opponent is, is like, you know, has some kind of notoriety to it. Uh, she was, you know, 42 Assist 22 digs, six blocks. She had four kills on 10 swings with no errors. Um, I think it's her sixth, sixth, uh, yeah, sixth 40 20 match of her Creighton career. So that's big time. 
Um, you know, she just showed off her ability to kind of distribute, be a be a threat offensively, and you know, have a major, major impact defensively. Like it was kind of like what we said about uh Jayla a couple of years, a couple of years ago, though. When we start to expect that it gets kind of boring, right? But it's still spectacular, you know what I mean? It's exactly <laughs> what I was just thinking. I mean, yeah. just like she's just doing what she does, you know, but at this point it's just you come to expect it. So I think exactly I had the same thought process on that one. Yeah, it's just Kendra being Kendra. Uh, someone who's starting to kind of come into their own a little bit, Destiny to Dom Simpson. She had a really, you know, she was really good against Nebraska in a high-pressure situation. Um, and I think probably she was, you know, as we talked about Kiana, Ava, and Anne Marie against High Point, Destiny probably felt like she wasn't super efficient. Like she probably let, she probably had some balls she wants back against High Point. And to see her bounce back and hit 290 on 31 swings with a low error count against Minnesota, got 12 kills. I thought that was pretty good for her if we're talking about freshmen that are kind of bouncing back from adversity a little bit. Um, it's not like she was bad against high point, but I bet she wanted to be cleaner, uh, just knowing how hitters are, right? Um, and so I think it was good to see her kind of be efficient in her role uh, against a super physical team like Minnesota. She had a good performance, and like you said, I mean, she hit negative in that high point match, so – not a great performance. She was a little bit high error. So to see the amount of attempts she got and she was able to convert a lot more efficiently against Minnesota, I mean, arguably, not arguably, but a better point opponent, obviously. It's just, I think, I think that makes you feel good going off a weekend of, all right, I did not play well. And okay, we turned it around the next day. And I think that's, it's nice sometimes to play those back-to-back days because you get kind of get to work your way through of like, all right, wasn't my day. Let's make tomorrow better. And she did that. When you uh you mentioned Ava and Destiny's ability to kind of be diverse from a shot standpoint, what did you see against Minnesota that allowed those two to terminate the way they did? Because um, I imagine it was just you know you couldn't just line up and swing at hands in this match because it was probably you probably get roofed a lot, but it felt like they were mixing things up. I, I mean, Ava had the roll shot to the donut like automatic at times. You know, it just felt like they were using using what the defense was doing to them and countering it really well in, in real time. I agree. I thought they moved their shots around. Like you said, Ava was just right into that donut area, automatic kill. Um, yeah, just going high hands, not being scared. I think that's a thing. If you're going into a game with a big block, a lot of times it's like, all right, I have a lot of surface area right here in front of me, but how can I use that to my advantage? Can I use the edges of the block? Can I go high hands? Can I get around that block? You know, just being creative, roll shotting, that sort of thing. And in the scout, you know, you kind of go over that. Okay, how does Minnesota typically play the outside hitter in defense? And for Ava Martin, she exposed that middle area of the court. And Minnesota just didn't really adjust very well. And she hit really sharp cross. And Minnesota did not adjust their block very well. So it's those sorts of things of like, can we hit this shot? Is Minnesota going to adjust? Is our opponent going to adjust and take away what what we're kind of doing like our bread and butter at that moment. And for Minnesota side, I didn't think they adjusted their block very well, but you know, if it's working, keep going at it until they make an adjustment. Yeah. No, I think, I think she was, just, I think she was big time. I think both of them were, especially with Ava having to handle a, a more, you know, a heavier load. Uh, I think both of those players are kind of like in a good groove right now. And it's, it's good to see because, Creighton has to kind of be this team right now without Nora, you know, like uh, the latest update from 
Coach Booth is there. Uh, she's going to be reevaluated this week. But you know, with an abstrain, it's 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 a difficult situation. It's kind of like think of it like, I guess like an oblique injury to a baseball player, like a hitter. You know, you can't you can't rush that back with the I guess violence. The best way I can put it, like the level of physical movement it takes to be who Norris is, is as a volleyball player, right? Like if you rush that back, you're going to re-injure it and re-aggravate it worse and be out for a longer period of time than you were originally. So they have to be very careful with her, not only for this season, but they've mentioned like, and it's true, like with the pro volleyball team coming in Nebraska now and the growth, the sport is on to the point where there are opportunities now to play domestically as a professional. She has a longer career than just, whatever whatever her eligibility says she has at Creighton, you know? Like, so this this might be a longer-term injury than probably people are hoping for, but it's for her own good. But I think for Creighton to figure out who what their identity is without her is big. And for them to – they went 4-1 and one without her to end the non-con and got a top-10 road win, beat a ranked team in Iowa State also. I think they played better against Nebraska as that match went along without Nora – in that being their kind of their first audition without her. So I think this team, I think it's important for this team to figure out who they are with or without their studs. And I think so far this non-con, they've been able to do that. There's been moments where Audrey Clark has come in from Kendra and chained and brought a spark. And now we've seen a five match sample without Nora Sis and Ava Martin having to carry a bigger load. Destiny Dom Simpson have to carry a bigger load. And, I don't know. It just feels like this team has grown up a lot in the last couple of weeks, don't you think? Just because of what they've had to deal with in that in that aspect alone. For sure. I think it's it's impressive just to see their performance. Like you said, I mean, things could have gone bad for a while before they got better. And I thought the period of time, it was, you know, maybe three sets against Nebraska and then they kind of figured their way out. Obviously, you don't get the win, but I think you start playing better. And that helped build into their games following that. And to go to to Minnesota and get a win without your stud outside, right? Like, just looking ahead at that schedule, I'm like, all right, they got to be a high point. If they drop to Minnesota, understandable. But no, they went in and they beat them. And I think looking at that is just, it's impressive what they did. I mean, and now you go into conference play feeling really good and you have a great record, you know, you did what you needed to do and maybe a little bit more even than what you needed to do in non-con. So I think they're in a really good position going forward. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's touch on Ellie Bickelmeyer a little bit on the right side. Cause I think she, she played, I thought she did some good things against Minnesota for sure. And, uh, you know, I think that has the potential to boost her confidence a little bit too. Cause I think that right side position is still kind of like a question mark. Because, you know, there's just certain things that, you know, if, if you know, and Coach Booth has mentioned this, if they go with Kiara Reinhardt, she's probably a little bit better blocker and she's, you know, a better server. So there's aspects of that, even though Kiara isn't necessarily a comfortable right side because she's played, she's had to hit out of the middle her whole career. So it's an adjustment for her. And Ellie's maybe more comfortable at that. You know, I think the the kind of dynamic there could could have been, could have been, less successful than it was, even though it hasn't been clean and consistent maybe the whole time. But I think, I don't know. I think people are just kind of settling into roles and they kind of know their strengths and know their weaknesses and they know who's good in what spots. So, but I think it's big for Ellie to kind of have, have an impact, especially against a team that's really dynamic because they're, 
Minnesota is both physical and athletic, right? So for her to have success, I think it translate it has ability to translate into the rest of the season because that you know that's going to be one of the hardest opponents you'll face the rest of the year. So for her to have success, I think is a good way to build off that. I mean, it's not just that she doesn't need a lot of she doesn't need to take over the match. That's not what she did against Minnesota. But to get six kills, it makes the offense more honest because the defense has to factor for her, you know? Like, they know she's gonna, she can get a ball and put it down out of system. They know she can get a ball in system and put it down. They know Kendra doesn't have to be, you know, so predictable with either going to Kiana and defending the slide or going to the pin in certain situations that, that she can, you know, have another option out there offensively. I think that was big match for her because I think she can build off that right going forward yeah I agree with you you need a consistent threat on that right side somebody that can put the ball down like you said you don't want to get into the situation of blockers saying we'll just leave her out there let our let our diggers deal with it right so yeah I think I mean she's worked her way in and obviously it's been a little bit up and down she's got subbed out and other players have stepped in and they're just trying to kind of find that consistent offense that they need. And like you said, it's not like you don't need to put up huge numbers, right? We don't need 10 plus kills out of a right side, but we need somebody that's going to be a solid block and an offensive threat when they have the opportunity. And she did a really nice job playing that role well this weekend against Minnesota. Yeah, for sure. So nine and two wins at Purdue and at Minnesota that are probably going to age really well. I think a win over Iowa state away from home too. So that's going to age really well, I think. Nine and two with only three matches at home. I feel I feel pretty good about what Creighton did at the non-con. I, I, I don't know if you – I think they probably want the Duke one back. Like, that's probably the one where you go, like, 10 and one, I guess, should have happened, I guess you would say, right? If you win – if you beat the, if you beat Purdue and Loyola and – you have Duke in a situation where you did, where you had set point a lot and couldn't close it. Right. Like it's probably a match. You feel like you had one and let it slip away. So in that regard, maybe they didn't do, maybe they didn't quite hit what they thought they should have hit from a performance standpoint. Right. Nine and two, when you had to do five matches without Norris, uh, I think if you would have said, you're not going to like going into the whole season, if you say, Creighton's not going to have Nora for Nebraska, Iowa State, and Minnesota. I think both of us could have easily said those are three losses. Like, you know what I mean? Because you just don't know what's, what's, you don't know how Creighton has an answer for that, you know? Because that's, that's, those are two, three tough teams. So for them to get two out of those three wins without Nora, I think is, I think that erases maybe the, the FOMO they have for maybe not finishing the Duke match, right? And the other part of it is too, this non-con has turned. It's a. It has not gone quite according to how I mapped it out. At least I thought Loyola was super good. I thought Ball State was super good because both those teams won their leagues last year and brought everyone back. But as we're learning with a team, we'll talk about in a few minutes. Maybe that's not always like the recipe for just like hitting the ground running and, and starting off what you did last year. Um, because Loyola beat Duke and Purdue and lost to Creighton in a, in a pretty close three setter. And they haven't won. They haven't won since they have their, 
They're over. So um, the thing with Loyola is is they have Dayton. They they they're in the conference that plays the two teams right off the bat. Like you don't get them. You just play the you play them at home. You play them on the road, and then you move on the rest of the season. So they have Dayton this weekend, which are basically the two biggest matches they have left on their schedule. So I'm curious to see how those go because they, like I said, they have not won since that opening weekend, and that shocks me because I thought they looked really good. And they beat and to beat Purdue on their home floor is tough. So um, I'm surprised that they're sitting at two and nine right now, but that's what they are. And then Ball State is another team that when I watched them in person, uh, I thought, yeah, that team's gonna that team's gonna be tough. And uh, they're sitting at three and eight right now. So, um, yeah, those are two teams that have gone sideways that I did not see going sideways. UNO has been really bad. I don't think that's that surprising though. They put a tough schedule and they lost some studs. So um, we'll see how they how they age. But right now, those are the three wins that Creighton has that aren't doing them a whole lot of favors right now. I think Northern Iowa is, you know, played a tough schedule, and I think they're going to get rolling in NBC play and and because they looked super dynamic. And then I think High Point is going to do what they do in league play. LSU's a team that's. Also, right now, a top 75 win. They're 5-5, five and five, but, you know, they have wins over. I think they beat UCLA. They split with UCLA. Um, they were competitive with Creighton, a three-setter. Um, they have a top 100 win over Texas Tech. So, I think in SEC play, they could, you know, all they got to do is knock off, a, a you know, three or four NCAA tournament quality wins, and they boost Creighton's resume via that win, right? Like, that's kind of how it goes when you when you beat that team you just want that team to kind of knock off someone you know two or three other good teams and it boosts your resume right um duke the match that creighton wants back duke has not lost since the opening weekend so the the creighton win started a nine game winning streak for them and so they're currently actually getting votes to be i think they're right on the outside looking in for the top 25 so even though they lost to Loyola and Purdue uh, that Creighton win boosted their confidence a whole lot because they haven't lost since. Um, they beat Michigan State. They swept Michigan State on the road. Um, beat Santa Clara, who's a top 100 team, and beat Michigan in four. So I think they have some tough matches coming up. They have Pitt at home this weekend. I think Georgia Tech's right around the corner as well. Um, so they're, you know, and the ACC is really good this year. I, think, I actually think the ACC might be better than the Big Ten this year. So Duke's going to have an opportunity to you know, get some quality wins and make that loss kind of not as regrettable as Creighton probably felt like it was because um, they're playing some really good volleyball right now. Um, like I said, they haven't lost since that since that match. So, but yeah, and then Iowa State's kind of doing their thing. So I think the non-con was strong. And to go 9-2 and two in it and without Nora, I think they're in a really good spot right now for their goals of you know, hosting that opening weekend, don't you think? Is there anything that, when you look at this uh, non-con that you feel like was left out there or should have gone differently besides, I guess, the obvious ones? Not really. Just, I mean, the Duke match, obviously. But, I mean, they're being successful now, so you just hope, obviously, they keep doing well and that loss looks maybe a little bit better at the end of Mm -hmm. the day. Um, but yeah, otherwise I really think, I mean, they took care of what they needed to take care of outside of maybe Duke. You'd like to have that one back. 
but just, I mean, overall in a really good position, I think going yeah. in and I know you sent me the RPI that, that's not official yet, but good position just based on that too. And it'll be interesting to see how that kind of changes um, mm-hmm. as they play more into conference and other teams play this year. I just feel like there's so much parity, so many like upsets just across all teams nationwide. So it's been a fun, just preseason of watching these teams kind of go, go at it against each other. Yeah. I feel like there's more national championship caliber teams than there ever has been right now this year. I just, you know, I feel like there was maybe four or five every year. And there was like, I think there was like maybe 15 elite teams. And then I think there was four or five from that group that you felt like every day, it doesn't matter who they're matched up with. That's the, those are the teams to beat this year. I'm not, I don't know. Like, cause Wisconsin's number one, but we just watched Marquette basically outplay them for three of the four sets. Like they should, Marquette should have won that match. I think, um, so I don't know. Like I, I don't think the gap has ever been this close between the upper tier of what you consider to the teams to beat, and then kind of that group of fifteen to twenty that are, you know, kind of really good but not good enough to win it. You know, I think there's, I think it could be a crazy year because I don't know. You're just seeing some weird results, you know. Very, yeah, very, very weird. I know. I watched. Um... Wisconsin play Florida and Florida setter went out and I'm like, man, if they didn't lose their setter, I think Florida upsets Wisconsin. Them, right? Yeah, for sure. You know, and it's like Stanford goes to Louisville and beats Louisville on their home court, but Stanford lost to Texas, like into Florida. So I'm like, I just, Nebraska, yeah. Yeah. Nebraska. So it's just an interesting, I don't know, interesting results. I feel like based upon like what I would think going into matches and it turns out just super competitive matches, which, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. And, we talked about this too. Volleyball programs aren't scared to play, you know, other top opponents from other conferences, which makes the preseason just crazy fun. And yesterday there were so many really good matches on, you know, just of that last couple games of preseason for everybody. So it's just, it's fun to see. And it'll be interesting to see the conference play um, and just what turns out in some of these really competitive conferences with a bunch of top teams in them. 100%. Um, speaking of conferences that don't necessarily have a lot of top teams in them, that's kind of where the kind of where the Big East is right now. Um, I I don't know. We I, like you kind of went through this in your career, right? Like Clayton's got a target on its back. That's just kind of. I don't know if you, as a player, um, admitted that to yourselves, like, like because then you can drift into cocky territory a little bit and you can get, you can get that slipping. Right. But I mean, I think, I think it's just conventional wisdom. Like you'd have to be totally unaware to not know that you're the best team in this conference right now, especially how things have gone so far, you know? And I think Creighton just has to kind of expect now that these next two months, when you look at the resumes of everyone else in this league compared to Creighton, Creighton's the marquee win that's on this, everybody's schedule now. Like if, if, Right now, there's, I mean, Xavier's top 100. DePaul's kind of right around top 100. Villanova, St. John's are top 70. Marquette has a really good RPI because they put a tough schedule. So if you're kind of in that grouping and you're thinking, you know, if, if we can get 15, 16 wins in conference play, you know, we can put ourselves in position to make the committee have to make tough decisions, right? But Creighton has to be 
Creighton has to be among those 15 or 16. So there's a group of teams that are probably looking at Creighton right now like, we need to beat you. Like, that's our season. You know what I mean? And Creighton gets to play one of those teams on the road smack dab in the first weekend. So I think Creighton has to kind of get itself ready to be targeted because I top 75 versus the unofficial RPI top 75. Creighton is four and two. The rest of the Big East combined is three and 20. So Creighton has more wins than the other 10 teams in the league on its own. And then when you, when you, when you, uh, span it out to top 100, Creighton's six and two against the top 100 right now. And the rest of the Big East is eight and 25. So they're basically like carrying the conference on its own right now. And, if you're in Marquette's spot, Villanova's spot, St. John's spot, and then maybe Xavier's spot, you need to beat Creighton to build your resume. So that's what Creighton's going to deal with now. Is it's uh, they're not are they playing double round robin again? I forgot. I should probably check that. Let's see. Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, sixteen, eighteen. No, they're not. Mm-hmm. Who aren't they playing twice? They're not playing. Is it Providence? They're not playing UConn twice, it looks like. And they're not playing Providence twice. So that actually works out pretty well because UConn and Providence are probably the worst teams in the conference right now. Um, UConn is 5-7, and seven, but, but uh, all five of those wins, all five of those wins are to 220 or lower, and three of those wins are five-setters, so... They're on struggle bus mode right now. So Creighton has to play them on the road and then Providence on the road, and they won't get the home games returned there. All of Providence's wins, they're six and six right now. And all six of their wins are at 240 or below. So um so yeah, neither of those teams are kind of in they have to win the league and win the tournament to make the to a tournament. So um, so those are the two teams that Creighton won't play twice. Everyone else Creighton's playing double round robin against. Um, I don't know, like that. I, I, it's the same old story, right? You, I guess, you kind of hoped Marquette would be with the schedule they had. They would knock off one or two of them, maybe two or three, and not just have a good RPI number, but actually be a team that you know is in good position right now. But it's just the way the league's going to shake out at this point, um, right? Like. Creighton's the team to beat, and everybody else is gunning for him. What's that challenge like? You've been through it as a player. What do you think that this team's about to go through right now as they get into league play with a bunch of teams that need to beat Creighton to basically build their resumes? I think you're always aware, you know, that that target is on your back, and teams are going to give you their best shot. And we we would talk about that too, you know, going on the road or at home. You know, teams are excited to play Creighton because. A lot of these teams, like you said, it's like they would have to do, they would have to run the table, win the tournament to even be in the NCAA tournament. And the odds of that happening just aren't high, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's it's just that like sense of we have nothing to lose. A lot of these teams, right? They're going to throw everything at you. And I think there were times that we played Villanova and I feel like their coach got them so amped up like to play Creighton and 
just they're like, we have nothing to lose, reckless abandonment. Like we're going to leave it all out there and you'd get their best match. And then they'll go and drop other matches to teams that are the bottom right. of the conference. Right. So yeah, yeah. It's that balance of you watch film on teams, you watch them play other big East teams and you're like, okay, whatever. And then all of a sudden it's just like, they're playing lights out, like playing out of their minds against you. So you just have to be aware of that and be ready to play every night. And even though on paper, a lot of these teams aren't going to look great. A lot of times they play their best match against you. Mm. The tough part is Creighton's not going to get the benefit of wins for the next two months, which is a tough spot to be in when you're trying to convince a committee that you belong as you know, when that you deserve to host. Right. And you basically go through two months where, Let's just give Marquette a benefit of the doubt that the committee still gives them credit for their schedule despite the fact they didn't beat any of the top teams except for the Dayton win is probably going to age really well because they're off to a good start and they're usually a good program. So a road win there when you didn't have Carson Murray, that's big. So that'll age well. But there's nothing else on Marquette's resume right now that's going to impress the committee in the win column. The only thing that's going to impress the committee from Marquette's standpoint is that they had kind of the courage to challenge themselves, right? So... That's the only favor they did themselves is that none of their losses are bad. But there's there's not anything other than Marquette. Clayton's not going to get the benefit of performance. You know, I mean, if they go five sets, if they even go five sets, that's going to be a knock against them. If they, even if they go four against some of these teams, if they lose a set to some of these teams, that's going to be a knock against them. That's a tough spot to be in, right? Like, where you basically say, okay, the next two months we have to play close to perfect volleyball on paper to continue to plead to, to build our case to the committee that we should be playing home matches in the first week of December. What kind of pressure is that? Like when you know you have to be close to perfect. I think it's expected almost. I feel like it's one of those things that I mean you don't have to be perfect, but at the end of the day, like you should be beating these teams and if you're not up on a team huge and you feel like you should just be crushing them, I feel like that can kind of play into like what, what is happening. Right. Like it's just, it's hard to approach it. I mean, you approach it one match at a time, obviously, but there are some games that it's going to be easier to get up for, you know, versus other teams. It's going to be like, okay, like what's going to happen tonight. So yeah, it's just a hard position to be in. Um, it's hard to maintain a high level of play sometimes. And you talk about that in games going into like play Creighton volleyball, play our level of play and yeah. down, like play down to your opponent. Sometimes that can happen. And it has to be a really conscious effort of we have to play at a high level. We have to play clean volleyball. You know, we have to get that pass on the net, like little things like that. If you take a step back and you're like, Oh, I didn't quite get a perfect pass. I didn't quite put in a super aggressive serve because a lot of the teams you play, maybe their passers aren't super stellar and it's not like the level of passing that you would see against an opponent in preseason. Like you still have to go back and practice as if you're playing a top level team and you have to be aggressive at the service line, you know, be aggressive with blocking moves, be creative offensively, maybe even if their defense isn't awesome. So it's just that challenge of how can we as a team get better when maybe our opponent isn't going to make us play at our top tier level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, uh, that's, that's one thing you talked about a lot as a player and you've talked about a lot on this podcast is like, excuse me, you go through conference and you're the team to beat and you're the, you're the big dog on campus. Like 
you have to focus on your side of the net, right? Because at the same time you're going through this slate, you have to also get better. Because you have to be playing yeah. at a higher because you have to be playing at a higher level than you're playing in September. When you get to December, you can't just be, you know, on autopilot mode for two months and roll the ball out and just beat these teams. You have to get better along the way in the process. And like you said, that's challenging when the teams you're facing for the most part aren't going to extract that from you themselves. You have to take it to that level yourself, right? Like, so that that's the process, isn't it? Like what you guys go through, um, you have to kind of elevate yourselves and challenge yourselves and compete against yourselves and, and focus on your side of the net more than the other side of the net to a, to a large degree to get through this grind. Don't you? I think so. And I mean, obviously you're going to go through like scouting the team, seeing what they do, taking care of that sort of like small stuff of like, where do we need to be defensively and that sort of stuff. But what can we do to be creative offensively? You know, what can we do to challenge ourselves not to just keep hitting the same exact shot all the time? Mm. You know, what can we do? Like, it's just the small things. It's like, how can we get like 1% better, right? Every day and in practice, how can we challenge ourselves to get better? Because I mean, Creighton's practice squad might be better than the opposing team that they play on a certain night, Facts. you know? Facts, so yeah. it's like that challenge of in practice, we have to maintain a high level of play and get better and better. And then we, when we get to the game, like if you have the opportunity, you should be rolling a team, you know, you mm-hmm. should be dominating. You should be clicking on all cylinders, looking really clean, looking super efficient and like you're the best team on the court at all times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause there's, like sustaining levels of clean volleyball for longer points and longer rallies, like, you know, stringing that all together, that's valuable too. That's how you improve as well Is like not letting teams off the hook, you know, not throwing a serve into the net when you got a team down and, and cakey, you know, like those are big, those are big controllable parts. Like, you know, I think you saw Creighton do that really well against high point. They didn't let them off the hook when they got rolling, you know, that's how you win 35 out of 47 rallies. It seems staggering on paper, but, that's the level of execution where you're like, okay, we got this team down. We got them like questioning whether they can win this match. Let's put them away. You know what I mean? Same with the Minnesota thing. That match was really weird because when both, when one team got control, they didn't let go of it. You know, they didn't let go of the rope until the set was over. So I think, you know, Creighton played a lot of sets this weekend where they didn't let their opponent have any of the momentum once they got it. And I think that's big because that, that, that elevates your level of play when you don't let teams off the hook because then you can just get into a groove. Can't you like when you're scoring points and you're nailing serves and you're nailing passes and you're getting in the system and you're, and you're terminating and kind of all the components are working, all the faces of the game are firing all at once like that. You become really dangerous. Don't you like just in your, in your mind, you're like everything. We don't have any problems out here. When you get into that mode of things are clicking, right? Like everything is going right for you. That can be awesome. And then at the other side of the coin, sometimes you feel like, damn, nothing is going right for us. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. So when you get into that mode, I think it's hard to sustain it. Um, If you have that conscious effort of, okay, we're going to take care of one point at a time, but we're going to play really clean volleyball for an extended period of time. I think that's super valuable. And I think it's a big improvement from the beginning of season when we saw them at end game, you know, up and letting the team kind of climb back in and be in it. Like they didn't do that well at the beginning of the season. And I think this past yeah. weekend showed, Hey, like we can close out a match, but we can dominate it. Like we're not, the other teams aren't going to make mistakes. We're going to put the ball away and we're going to earn it. We're going to 
put it away, you know, with our own initiative of getting points, scoring points. And that's a little bit of a change from the beginning of season. That's just growth over the season of, all right, who's going to put the ball away. We have to do it now. We can't let a mm-hmm. team go runs on us. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just kind of the, I, honestly, I don't know if there's a, there doesn't look like a team in the biggies that's playing at Creighton's level right now, just from a consistent base. I know. And the thing with Marquette, that's like that. I've sorry, I have to coffee. Uh, that I've really struggled with is like how much of a benefit of a of the doubt do you give their their schedule and the fact that they were going to lose some matches versus I don't know I I just don't see them performing at that level right now so I wonder if if there's something that you know if there's something going on because they brought back everyone except for the libero who was really good like that's not something that you can just dismiss. But I don't know. I just see the. I just see the thing that is interesting to me is like maybe there's tendencies that they haven't necessarily shored up that teams have identified, and now it's just like you have more answers on Marquette than you did last year when the whole roster was basically overhauled. Essentially, like that was a new that was a new team last year, so we didn't really know what to expect out of Marquette. So for them to, I, I think at this point when we were recording last year. We probably felt like Marquette might have had an edge on Creighton even at that point because of the level they were playing at and that those matches were going to be dogfights this year or last year. This year, I, I feel like Creighton has reascended to that top spot, and I think there's a gap even now that used to be there maybe five or six years ago that Marquette shored up a little bit because it's not just the it's not just the schedule for me. It's not just the results. It's the performances, you know? Like, Wisconsin, I think they could have won that match. They played really well, I thought. So they're capable, right? But Oregon wiped them out. Tennessee wiped them out. Pitt wiped them out. All on their home floor at the Owl. There wasn't, like, 17,000 people in the stands. There wasn't – you weren't outnumbered. Like, it wasn't a road match. They just didn't ever make those teams sweat. And the fact that a Sweet 16 team that brought back all that they brought back – couldn't make those teams like I mean Tennessee is good, but I think Marquette should should be able to beat them on their home floor. That's not asking a ton. I think Pitt's really good. I think Oregon's really good, but Marquette should be able to Marquette should have been able to win two of those matches, I think, or at least win some sets for God's sake. Like that's that's alarming, I think. The Kansas match, they took a set from Kansas, but the games two or three and four were decreasingly competitive. You know what I mean? So I'm concerned because the performances aren't the performances aren't breeding a lot of confidence in this team right now. And I'm I'm surprised by that because I thought that legitimately going into the year, there was going to be two potential top 15 teams in the Big East. And it was the question marks were going to be how well could kind of everyone behind them close that gap to challenge them. And now it's now it feels like back you know, kind of your playing days and before that where it was just like Creighton and everyone else. Because, like I said, it's not just it's not just that Marquette lost some tough matches to a really tough conference uh, schedule. They they didn't perform well. So but from a confidence standpoint, they don't look like they're on good ground right now. And I don't know. I just, you know, they're going to play Villanova right out of the gate in Big East play at home. So... That's a match they should win, but Villanova's playing really well right now. So from a confidence standpoint, I think Villanova's in a better spot than Marquette is. So Villanova's probably going into Milwaukee saying, hey, 
this team's down right now. They probably don't have a lot of belief at the moment right now because they haven't won a lot of matches. It's an opportunity for us to steal one against them. And you mentioned the way Villanova's coach kind of gets team them, their team up for marquee matches. So this could be a tough one for Marquette. They got to get rolling because they don't have any margin for error anymore. If they if they drop five, if they go four and seven in non-con and then lose like what four or five in Biggie's play and don't beat Creighton at all, they're not making the tournament. But you know what I mean? They won't. No, they won't. And I think I mean I'm on the same wavelength as you of it's the way in which they lost that has me questioning things. Like okay, you lose, right? You lose to Oregon, you lose to Wisconsin. We get it. Like, great teams, whatever, but to yeah, be at home, yeah. to get swept, to not even be close in some of these sets, mm-hmm. it just, for me, it's just like the fight. It's like, okay, where, like, where's your resiliency? Where's your fight? Where's your need to extend mm-hmm. this match and make it competitive and your will to win? Like, those sorts of things have tangible benefit to them and for you to get swept on your home floor by these teams when you on paper you know you have the players you you have all the weapons you should be a well-rounded team you know well-rounded enough to compete with these teams and at least make it closer and make it competitive and you go to five sets and you lose a close five setter i'm like i get it great match right but to get swept at home i just i don't understand that by multiple teams Yeah, it's it's crazy because like Creighton's gone through that too. Like they've, you know, they're when you play tough non-cons, sometimes you're gonna get waxed. Like sometimes you're not gonna be at your best, and the other team's gonna be rolling. I mean, Creighton last year, last year's Creighton team lost a set twenty-five to five. That's embarrassing. You know what I mean? Like that's like NCAA tournament teams don't lose sets twenty-five to five to anybody. You know, they lost twenty-five to five on their home floor. You know what they did? They bounced back and they beat Northern Iowa later that afternoon. Like that's what I haven't seen on a Marquette. Like yeah. Marquette, it just looks kind of the same every day. Once they once things start going bad, they stay bad. So yeah. I'm not seeing that that resilience from a more experienced version of themselves that than last year that you would expect to be kind of I, I don't want to say I took it for granted, but I figure when you have all your key cogs, most of your key cogs back, you like we talked about with Kiana, like it, that experience helps you because it's just you know what you're going to get day in, day out, and you can handle the problems that when you're a young player, everything that seems like overwhelming. Now, when it, as, when it happens to you as a veteran, you figure, okay, I know what I know how to get myself out of this. I know how to lift the people around me out of this. We can bounce back from that. They have not bounced back well. Once it goes bad, it stays bad. And it's just like, that's a weird trait for a veteran team, I think. Like, so to me, it's like, it's not just the results, it's the performances. Like, I, you know, I hate to repeat myself over and over, but I'm, they haven't given me a lot of reasons to be confident. The Dayton match was big. I agree. Winning five sets, winning in a five-setter on Dayton's home floor, opening weekend without Carson Murray, like, that's big. So that's not a win to poo-poo, right? And even Drake, the five-setter over Drake, that's their top 40 right now. So that's a good win. They have two good wins. Um, but... You know, they got to do more and they have to play better. That's the bottom line. Like they just, they, it's not just the losses. It's, it's, it's the way they've looked and the way they've like laid down. Even on their home floor, they've laid down for teams like Tennessee smacked them, Pitt smacked them, Oregon. It was like close for like the first 20 to 25 rallies. Then they smacked them. It's like, do you, what's like, have some, have some resolve, right? Like, where is that? Where's it? Why is it missing from a team that has this many veterans? It's very weird. 
It is weird. I just, it'll be interesting to watch, you know, and I don't know, like leadership wise, like obviously they have players in those roles, but Mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see if they get in those positions of who's going to drag them out of that and who's going to be a leader, like a vocal leader for them and put away balls, you know, an on-court leader as well, because they have a really talented setter, you know, they've got pins that are experienced and have been around, but I don't know if it's, maybe an instance of like, we need somebody to be that like vocal energy for us and dig us out of these holes because it just, I mean, it's been a pattern, obviously, right? You have multiple matches now. This has happened to us and this happened at home against, I mean, three really good teams, but man, like we just don't have that resolve to turn things around and you've got to have that. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm interested to watch the Villanova match for them to see. 100%. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, and I think the conference reset probably gives them an opportunity to like just all right, let's just not talk about that. You know, let's talk, let's 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 use what we need to use out of that, but let's not let it crater our season, you know, because now we have an opportunity. Everyone's zero and zero. The title race is still we can still win the big east. We can still we're hosting the big east tournament. We can still build a good season out of this four and seven start. Our RPI is fine. Like we're still in position if we you know, if we go and sweep Creighton and then beat him in the Big East tournament, then we've changed our whole season and we've turned into the team that everyone thought that we were going to be anyway. So they have an opportunity here to bounce back out of it, right? It's just like there's nothing that there's nothing that they did in the first two months or the first month of the season, excuse me, that's going to allow them to say, yeah, okay, we can take that and use it. Like, no, there's they have to erase that because that was a that was a complete debacle. Um, they looked they looked bad and. They just have to forget about it and make Biggie's play something different. So hopefully they can do it because I think the league is more exciting when you feel just that, like, there's a race. You know what I mean? Where it's not just, like, Creighton trying to bat off a bunch of, like, gnats, if you will. It's just, like, and and survive to host, right? Like, you want some you want some high-stakes matches. So, um, and I'm sure every Creighton player on the roster feels the same way. They're kind of hoping that there's... Because you watch the way they played Marquette last year, those felt like that's way tournament matches, you know? The five setter mm-hmm. in Omaha, the 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 big East tournament title match, like those were big time matches. Like the energy in the building, the energy from the players. And you talk about that, like you love that, right? That's what you play for is those type of feelings as a player when you when you're lined up across the net from somebody who can beat you, you know what I mean? Who, you know, you don't have to like play down to their level to lose. You have to actually elevate yourselves to win, you know? So that's the challenge. Um, for Marquette to get themselves back together and to kind of reassume, um, you know, the idea of the team that everyone thought they were supposed to be coming into the year when they were picked to, they were picked to win the league outright. Like there's not even, it wasn't a tie this year. They were the preseason favorites. Aiton was two, so they have a lot to live up to right now, and they haven't really done themselves. They haven't really put themselves in that position in the non-con. So we'll see how they go. Uh, Creighton opens up. Uh, Biggie's play this weekend, Friday, Saturday, back to backs are are back in the in the in the fold. So they're at Butler and at Xavier. This is a tricky road trip, right, Megan? Probably you know outside of the Milwaukee leg of your uh conference play. Like this is probably would you argue this is maybe the toughest road trip of the of the conference portion of the season, given how Butler and Xavier usually are and. Um, playing them back to back and in, 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 you know, at Cintas, at Hinkle, tough, tough environments, big cavernous kind of environments, right? They're basketball arenas, you know, they're not really 
volleyball gyms, you know, the sight lines are different. This is probably like a tough one of Creighton's tougher challenges right on the shoot, don't you think? Yeah, I think this is a good good weekend. I think usually these teams, obviously they're mid-level in the Big East conference standings, typically mid to upper level. So it's usually two really good back-to-back matches. Um, you know, we've talked about Butler sometimes plays better on their home court and it can be a bit of a challenge. Um, it's usually you got to bring a lot of energy, like you said, to the cavernous in both of these arenas and not a ton of noise and positive energy coming your way, you know, from fans. It's just a little bit different of an environment than Sokol and some of the other gyms that they've played in in the preseason. But no, I think it'll be a good a good test for them. I think they'll have to play well, obviously. You know, there's some weekends you go into it of like, we don't really need to play, you know, like top tier. And I think they'll need to play at a pretty high level for both of these matches to come out with a win. Mm-hmm. And then these teams both like, They'll challenge Creighton from a talent standpoint too. They're they're physical. I mean, physically they're good enough. They're talented enough to beat Creighton. So it's gonna be it's gonna challenge. I think these will, this is two. These are two teams that if you wanna if you, I guess if you wanna come out of a non conference where you just played some really tough teams and you don't want to have quite like a dip in your quality of opponent, this is probably a good one for Creighton to just jump right in because this is this is similar to the level of competition they've been playing. You know Xavier has veteran hitters that have given Creighton problems before, like Delaney Hogan has always been a stud and she's having a good year hitting hitting over 400 average and 2.6 kills per set. Um, Emma Grace and Anna Taylor are having good sophomore campaigns. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's going to be a challenge for Creighton here. I mean, Kerrigan O'Reilly um, is back and, you know, she's dangerous as a setter or, you know, she averages over almost 1.4 kills per set. So she, she she's multifaceted in that in that degree so it's going to be a challenge from a scout standpoint for Creighton to deal with her and you know Butler I think they're under a new coaching staff this year I think this is their first year under a new head coach but Jamison Kinley is back and she's been you know probably the best libero in this conference for the last few years uh just an absolute stud defensively you if you hit it at her she's likely now in the past and you're going to, have to deal with an in-system Butler who I think is the team that runs the unconventional offense. I think that's the the one you don't want in system as much because they run some kind of tricky patterns, right? Is that what Butler's MO is, is to kind of throw some things at you that are a little bit unconventional and get kills that are a little bit unconventional. Um, yeah, I think training. Butler historically would throw balls a little bit more. Xavier does some things that are unconventional. I know that their coach has them running off one foot, their middles and things and hiding and coming back in and that sort of stuff. Um, so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, obviously, with the new coaching staff at Butler, how yeah. things have changed and kind of the new tenets of what they do. But historically, usually they use their middles quite a bit and had a pretty balanced offense. So it'll be interesting to see how Creighton defends that. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how they avoid Kinley, too. Like, she's in a libero yeah. that can take over a match, right? Like, and if you're, you know, she's got good range and she's a really good passer. And I know that when Creighton and Butler have played each other, when Creighton kind of targets her, they pay for it. So she's she's that kind of like that match changing libero. So I don't know what what's what's the challenge like when you know you're facing a defender who has range and great passing ability, and you know can get to some balls that you feel like you can put down against other liberos. You know what's the game of 
how's that game go back and forth when you're trying to avoid that particular player and exploit some different things in the defense? Like it's probably going to be key number one for Creighton, I think, in this matchup. But how does that go when you have to factor in how good a team's opposing Libero is? Yeah, I think you have to take it into account. And at times it'll be that conscious effort of, do we have a free ball or an easier ball? Where are we putting that, right? Like mm -hmm. we should be putting that in right back on that setter. And if the setter is back row and has to transition, let's create some chaos between players trying to take that first ball coming over. And let's not just throw a lollipop into the libero because she'll have that right on the net and they'll just have options. Um mm -hmm. So those those sorts of things and then obviously I mean when you're in system you know you can't think about it too much of like I can't hit to her right like because you don't want to get it in your head but at the same time when you have opportunities to tool edges of block away from her to go down the line um, making her move that sort of stuff I think you just you've got to make her move and create a little bit of movement on their side defensively just to um, make it tougher and not allow her to just take so much area of the court. Cool. Anything else we should touch on? I think we've tackled basically every topic coming out of non-con. Did we miss anything? <laughs> no, I think we've it. Um, second part of the season. We always talked about, I know you mentioned that earlier, but this will be a good start to, you know, the next two months of taking care of business, hopefully in Big East conference and, seeing what Marquette does and hopefully they continue to get better and it trends up and we have that competitive, you know, match when they meet up. Yeah. The other thing I just noticed is that this non-con might've, you know, given Creighton a good prep for what they're about to face because they don't have any back-to-back -back home weekends. <laughs> not, not one. They're all, they have back-to-back -back roadies and obviously they're going to go out on the road this weekend again, but, yeah, no back-to-back -back home weekends, and then they're, the Big East tournament's in Milwaukee, so that won't be – so they'll be on the road for that after they close out at home against Xavier and Butler at the end of the conference season. So, yeah, not a lot of opportunities to see the Jays kind of settle in at home. So that's going to be a challenge too, right, because you're kind of going to always be, you know, you get comfortable at home, then you have to go back out on the road. That's kind of what the schedule lays out to be for Creighton. So that'll be a little bit of a challenge in itself. Um. Yeah, that's it. We good. Yeah, we're good. Thanks everybody for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed the uh, the chat. Um, yeah, it's it's conference season, so like I think Megan calls it second season. That's why I referred to that earlier. So that's kind of what it is right now. So we'll we'll start tackling Big East opponents more frequently as we uh, recap weekends and preview upcoming slates for you guys. Um, but thank you for tuning in. We always appreciate it. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, so we'll see you guys next weekend is their first home weekend, not this upcoming one, but the 29th and the first St. John's and Seton Hall will be their home, home opening weekend for Big East play. So we'll see you guys at Sokol when that rolls around. I think Megan Bell, Megan Epperson, Epperson will be on the call for the St. John's match. So if you don't make it to the arena, make sure you get signed up for flow sports for that one. Cause she'll be on the call for that. Um, so yeah, that's it. For Megan, I'm Matt. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you all next week.